welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that was my wife, Julie, and we're back again to tell you what we've been reading, what we think about it. Appreciate those of you who have reached out to us via email. It's paperbackreaderspod, that's paperbackreaders with an S, P-O-D, at gmail.com. And thank you for listening and for all of those who have left us reviews. I encourage you to do that. Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. I think that's it. But if you've got some other way you want to listen to us, let me know. As the semi-technical technical guy, I'll see what I can do. Okay, we ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. I finished One to Watch this week. It's by Kate Stamen London. It's about B, who's a plus-size model, who wrote a post one night about her favorite television show, which is called Main Squeeze. It's um, very loosely based on The Bachelor. Um, her post that she wrote was about how the main squeeze really needed to shake up its image. She was upset by how they had no body diversity, no racial diversity. Everyone on main squeeze looked the same. And as a result of her post, which went viral, she was asked to be the next main squeeze. I did not really expect to like this book. I think I talked to you about it a little bit when I checked it out from the library. I don't watch The Bachelor. I'm not much on reality TV, but I liked the premise behind this book, and it was just such a light, fun, easy read. B was an incredibly likable character. Following her through the reality show season was just a lot more fun than I expected. Well, and I mean, it's a funny thing in that given... All of the media opportunities out there, everybody on on TV and movies really does look alike now. I mean, you know, as as a music nerd, there's like, would would anybody listen to Bob Dylan now? Aside from the weird sound, would anybody get past his, you know, like nasty fingernails and and like you know, folky Woody Guthrie kind of charm? I, I don't know. He sure wouldn't be on The Bachelor. I'll tell you that. But that diversity is just a really good thing, and I liked what this book had to say about body image and diversity in general. So it was a good read. So there's another one you've been working on. I don't want you to give away too much because I've got a feeling I'm going to be reading it. We're going to be talking about it as a a featured both of us uh, read. But, uh, you know, give us a, a brief overview. Yeah, I haven't decided yet if the second I finish it tonight, I'm going to hand it over to you or if I'm going to turn it back to the beginning and start reading it again because it has just been that good. It's called Transcendent Kingdom by Yagyasi. The main character, Gifty, is the daughter of immigrants from Ghana whose American dream has just collapsed in many, many ways. The story begins, she is a PhD candidate in neuroscience, and she's using her studies with lab mice to try to make sense of the way that her life has gone. Her mother is in a deep depression, and she's studying addiction in mice, Um As she works through her studies and tries to know her mother again, she also spends quite a lot of time reflecting on her childhood faith and trying to figure out how all these pieces of her life fit together, if they can fit together, and where the real truth in all of it is. So the story itself is just really, really compelling, Um, but the writing is also really, really beautiful, and the questions that she asks are questions that I think any person of faith has asked, and I cannot wait to see how this ends. Well, the juxtaposition of science and faith is something, 
you know, a lot of writers have, have visited, but uh, I think she comes at it from a little bit of a different angle, and the parts you've read me have been really interesting. Yeah, she really does. She reminds me strongly of Marilyn Robinson, whom I also love, and I love the way she writes about faith, too. So I can't wait to find out what you think of this book, because I am definitely giving it to you. <laughs> well, well, we'll leave that one here under the to-be-continued file. Um, as usual, you're you're well ahead of me. You're closing in on a hundred books for the year, I think. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm hanging around uh, seventy or so. I mean, I'm I'm going to barely clear a hundred if I do for the whole year. I would just like to say again, it is not a race. It's not a competition. <laughs> just read your books and enjoy them. Mm, yes, yes, that's the word. But uh, other than the two that we both read that we're going to talk about, I only managed to complete one. I've got several that are works in progress. But uh, the only other full book I, I got in over the last two weeks was The Last Great Game by Gene Wojciechowski. Um, it's a book about the 1992 Kentucky-Duke Elite Eight basketball game, a game that, uh, you know, is strongly remembered by a lot of the country for a lot of reasons. Gene was a... Uh, a columnist for Sports Illustrated at the time and did a, a particularly great story on the game back then in 1992 that I remember reading. I was 11. <laughs> um, but but he wrote this book a few years ago. I'd read it before. I uh, went through it as a reread because my friend Kyle Tate did the narration for the audiobook, and Kyle did a great job, as he always does. Uh, really brought the story back to life for me. Uh, Duke and Kentucky were on very different paths. Uh, this was a Duke team that had just won its first national championship in basketball. Um, Kentucky, meanwhile, I'd like to think was still Kentucky, but they had been through a big cheating scandal in the late 80s, uh, had been put on probation, and had to bring in Rick Pitino and rebuild their program. So you had Duke at this point of just arriving, really, as a national powerhouse, and Kentucky had been there and had fallen back uh, and was coming back. In this game, which really may have been the last great college basketball game, hmm. um, is kind of a microcosm for the stories of two very different programs, two very different coaches, and Rick Pitino and Mike Krzyzewski, uh, and some fascinating players, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley for Duke, uh, Jamal Mashburn, and the uh, the trio of Kentucky kids who were seniors uh, from UK, John Pelfrey, Richie Farmer, Darren Feldhaus. Uh, of course, Duke wins the game. Christian Leitner, who had 31 points and did not miss a shot, uh, you know, won the game, and Duke went on and won another national championship. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing that was interesting to me, what's changed since 1992, is the college basketball culture. At that time, Mashburn for Kentucky went pro after his junior year. Everybody else in that game on Kentucky's side was a four-year player. Uh, Duke... I think all of those guys were four-year players. Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, and, and so it's a bygone era. We're not going to see college basketball where the best players are, are 21- and 22-year-old veterans now. The best uh, players out there are in their second semester of college and are about to be in the NBA. And the quality of the game uh, does suffer accordingly. So it was cool to go back to the old days a little bit. I love listening to you talk about this stuff. I could listen to you all day. Well, you could talk about it all day. I, I could. And that game in particular, uh, I, again, I was 11 years old. I remember shedding a few tears after Mr. Leitner <laughs> broke our collective hearts in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. 
but uh, it was a long time ago, and it was a joy to go back. Gene did a phenomenal job with the book. And again, major props to my man, Kyle Tate. Um, if you're audiobook people, Kyle does a, a great job on anything he does, but this one especially, you know, I, I mentioned it to him, and he said that it was one of his favorite books he'd ever done, and that really came through in his good work on it. Okay, so we're ready to talk about the books we read together. Well, we had two, and that was, you know, we were both kind of down to the, the wire to complete two, but they were both great books. Very, very different, but but fun, both of them. The first one is called Do Not Sell at Any Price, The Wild Obsessive Hunt for the World's Rarest 78 RPM Records. This book came entirely through your choosing, Joe. It did. Um, it was a book that's been out a few years. I'd seen uh, some discussion of it and thought, now that sounds really interesting. I am probably the music nerd of the two of us. I'm definitely the old-time music nerd. And by old-time, I mean really old-time. I mean, you like stuff out of the 50s and 60s, just like I do. <laughs> this this is farther back. This is Charlie Patton and Robert Johnson. And again, 78s. I've never owned a 78. Uh, but Amanda Petrusich goes on this quest, and she meets the overwhelmingly old, white, it's kind of socially disconnected men who run this world of collecting the last 78 records uh, that still exist of a lot of these artists. And she kind of takes you into their world. She starts hunting records herself. Uh, but, you know, you meet some of these characters. You get a, a good history of, you know, the, the early, mostly African-American music scene. Uh, and then you get guys like Harry Smith with the uh, Anthology of American Folk Music. You learn about him. It's a good primer on roots music and on record collecting. But then it's a really cool story besides that. Yeah, and I, I'm definitely, this is not my scene. So when you handed me this book and said you thought I'd like it, I was not really sure. I'm not really a record nut even. I, um, you and you and our son are the ones who collect records and who love them. I like to listen to music, but I don't go for the super old stuff like you do. So I wasn't really sure when you handed me this book, but then I read this quotation from the prologue where it says, I understood the rapture of discovery. I wasn't immune to the lure of objects. As a kid, I'd lined up paperback installments of the Babysitter's Club in numerical order and hovered for hours, gazing at the spines, running my little fingertip along their titles, mesmerized by all that order. My collections made me feel safe and focused. They lent my life purpose and form. They still do. And I could totally relate to that quotation as a kid who has always collected books and collected all kinds of things. Um, not 78 records, but I did understand that compulsion. So, yes, there is a peculiar kind of insanity uh, in being the collector and being the one who wants to get every 78 RPM record that Paramount ever put out or, or whatever. Uh, so she chronicles that. And another thing that she kind of delves into is the compiling streak. I mean, there are few enough of these people who are experts on this that one of their hobbies is kind of putting together compilations of these super obscure records. And then they want to track down all the 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 life story of Blind Boy Blake and, and argue within each other about who's playing guitar on this archaic 78. Uh, very much reminded me of High Fidelity and the way you've got these guys who mm -hmm. decided that they were kind of the arbiters of their little underworld of, of counterculture. <laughs> and and they, they think they're very cool and the rest of the world would think, my gosh, what a bunch of nerds. But, uh, you know... They, 
there's an odd community there, too. And that's the thing that stood out to me the most. The thing that I enjoyed the most about this book was the community. The fact that you can like anything in the world, and as long as you're truly passionate about it, you're going to be able to find some other people who are also passionate about these things. And my favorite part about reading this book was watching those little little tiny communities form. Now, these, these are not going to be, you know, they're not all getting together on Friday nights or whatever, but like listening, even just a couple of people coming to somebody's house and listening to these songs together and discuss them. I just really liked seeing that community around a joint interest. I thought that was cool. Well, and there's an interesting thing here in that you've got Amanda Petrusic, who does not at all fit the mold. No, not a bit. I mean, she's not old. She's not male. She's kind of cool, at least, unlike most of these guys. Uh, but, you know, by getting to know them and getting to feel their passion for this music, she kind of gets sucked in. My favorite chapter was the one where she is scuba diving the bottom of this river in Wisconsin, searching for old records that might have been thrown into this river. (laughs) Somebody who at the start of this book really couldn't understand this community, but now here she is doing such a crazy thing. And one more thing I do want to bring up on this book. Um, I read one of Amanda Petrusich's books before. We both and, did. Yeah, and and gonna have to be honest, we're pretty positive people. Uh, yeah, that, hopefully that's coming through in the podcast. But it was a book. It's called It Still Moves. That I barely got through. I mean, it was just painful for me as a reader. I couldn't stand it. Um, but gonna give credit where credit's due. I approached this book with a little bit of reluctance because of that back history. But again, I, I knew about the concept and I thought, well, that sounds like a cool idea. And I got it and I read a couple of chapters and I'm like, you know, th- this is actually pretty good. And I read the rest of the book and I thought that was a good book. And I told Julie about it and I kind of watched the same thing play out. Uh, so I want to give credit to Amanda Petrusic. I judged her pretty harshly on the strength of the earlier book. Maybe she's gotten better as a writer. Maybe I've gotten more sympathetic as a reader. I think probably some of both. But she does a really good job on Do Not Sell at Any Price, on making you know this very strange little community of people very relatable and very human and maybe even a little bit cool. Yeah, I agree very much. All right, the next book that we read is called The Deepest South of All, True Stories from Natchez, Mississippi, and it's by Richard Grant. And Richard, on the other hand, we had read a prior book of his called Dispatches from Pluto. We'll talk about it in a minute and really enjoyed that. And thus that led us straight to this book, which is brand new. Um, Richard kind of tells two stories here. One story is in the early 19th century, a prince, an African prince named Ibrahima, becomes enslaved through a bizarre set of circumstances, ends up in Mississippi as a slave. But Ibrahima, while in Mississippi, comes across a man who he had met in Africa who knows his real story. And this is decades later. This is far down the line. He's already gotten married. He's already had a family as a slave in Mississippi until he finds a man who knows his backstory and can start the ball rolling to get him back home. Uh, So that whole narrative kind of alternates in the book with the story of Natchez, Mississippi, which is this wonderfully bizarre little southern town, uh, not terribly far from New Orleans. It's deep down in Mississippi. Uh, where 
you know, you have all of these odd cultural strains that kind of land on top of each other. And the stories from Natchez, Mississippi are set in present day. So it's contrasted with today and then back in the times of slavery. You know, I, I think one of the draws here, Grant himself is English. So two of my favorite things in the world that, that don't necessarily add up are the English and Mississippi. Which is where we got Dispatches from Pluto, which is the book that we read of his first. Um, that book deals with the fact, with the idea of how he, as um, a misplaced British man, and then his New York City girlfriend ended up buying a house in Mississippi. And the book chronicles their time there, how they fell in love with that state, and they fell in love with the place. It's hilarious. Um, it's an upside down kind of world for them, but they loved it and they stayed. And we loved that book so much. So we tracked down other works of Richard Grant's and then this one, which came out just this month. And you know, the thing about it, what Grant kind of gets into here. I think for outsiders, for people who don't know about the American South, particularly the, the somewhat rural American South, is, if anything, they underestimate how substantially weird it is. I mean, there's this idea that there's one kind of unified Southern world out there, and, and that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. You, you get outside of Atlanta, and you're going to find... Just such a different, different place. And Natchez really... Apparently it, exemplifies. We've never yeah, been there. Yeah, I mean, have gone down the Natchez Trace part of the way. Uh, I've never gone down to Natchez. But, you know, the, this this whole genre kind of goes back to John Barrett, who wrote the book Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is about Savannah. And essentially lays out how Savannah, Georgia, is just this otherworldly weird place. Because, again, you have all these cultures. You have, you know, the old Southern Confederate glory mixed with all of the African Americans, some of whom are, are very resistant toward that, of course. Uh, both in Natchez and in Savannah, there's this massive, like, gay transgender culture. All of this stuff just gets thrown on top of each other into this kind of crazy quilt gumbo of what the New South is. And, and there's not one thing it is. There's like 25 things it is, which makes it that much harder then for people to try to unpack all of these feelings when it comes to a topic like race, which is obviously at the forefront of everything in 2020. Yeah, and everything that we're looking at as we try to define the South and try to define what it should be. One of the things that I really liked about this book was that Richard Grant does not try to tell us what the South is or what it should be. It's less a judgment than it is a portrait. He paints an accurate portrait of what slavery was and of what Mississippi looks like today and then leaves you to figure out what we're what you're supposed to do with that picture. What's your own particular role to try to move the South into the future and to try to help your particular part of it to... Um, become anti-racist to help the people who need it in the South. And at the same time, to preserve this incredibly rich and diverse history that's already there. And there, there's a, a story near the end of the book with a, an African-American lady who she and her husband have bought out what ended up being an old slave quarters. And they've opened it as a bed and breakfast. And really, she was one of my favorite characters because you just got really an idea of how complicated and convoluted all of this legacy can be. And yet you have some very kind, amazing people who are there and their day-to-day -day life is making sense of it and trying to combine all the old and 
everything brand new, and it's it's just kind of fascinating. Oh, it's completely fascinating, and there's just there's a lot to learn from listening to it. So certainly enjoyed this. Enjoyed dispatches from Pluto, which again is is much more kind of rural. Uh, neck of the woods stuff from from Richard Grant and the other one I mentioned that you got to read if you haven't. I I didn't read it until I was probably thirty or so. We read it before our first trip to Savannah. Yeah, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, John Barrent. Um, great movie too. Uh, but <laughs> encourage you. We we may in fact in there in our living room have uh, a a piece do. of the. Uh, the the knickknack collection. I'm I'm blanking on the guy's name. The 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 man who is at the center of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. If you read it, you'll know who we're talking about. Yeah, and and of course he was a collector, so it all comes back <laughs> full circle, doesn't it? Ah, uh, yes, yes, it does. Okay, thank you so much for being with us today and for listening. Please let us know what you thought about this episode. What and what else we should read. Thanks so much. Enjoy. Stay in touch and keep reading. <laughs>